Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside Indy Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. I'll be making my first flight of the football season this weekend, and you better believe that I'll be throwing a pair of my Dead Soxy socks into my luggage. I, uh... Might even have to wear some on the plane since they're so comfortable. Dead Soxy offers a premium product made from bamboo that gives you that luxury feel. And their patented technology has a no-slip guarantee that prevents the socks from rolling down your leg. Dead Soxy also does custom socks for organizations looking to create unique swag. Perfect for corporate gifts around the holidays. So you can mix and match with designs and colors. And I know they have some colors coming that our listeners might be particularly interested in. Whether you're looking for traditional dress socks, no-shows, or casuals, DeadSoxy.com has the socks you need. And because Dead Soxy has partnered with us, you can use code LUCKY, L-U-C-K-Y, at checkout to get 25% off your order. Support from sponsors like Dead Soxy gives us the ability to keep delivering this podcast to you, so we'd appreciate if you'd support them as well. Let's get those socks flying off the shelves and help out our friends at Dead Soxy. The first win of the Marcus Freeman era is finally in the books. It wasn't easy, but the Irish held on to a 24-17 victory over Cal on Saturday. The challenge shouldn't get any easier this week with a road trip to Chapel Hill and a matchup with North Carolina's prolific offense. And I imagine our guest, former Notre Dame linebacker Rocky Boyman, is glad he isn't the one being asked to stop it. Uh, Rocky hosted daily talk radio show, the Eddie and Rocky Show, for 700 WLW in Cincinnati. And you can see him calling college football games throughout the season as a color analyst for ESPN. Rocky, thanks for joining us. Guys, great to be with you. Let, let me uh, let, let me ask you. Let me interview you. What's this season been like? Things okay? <laughs> I think I would I think say we're, for we're me, in there. it's yeah. I I would say it. I think people. It's been a roller coaster because I think people were so excited for the Marcus Freeman era. And I think after the Ohio State game, they're like, mm, okay, we can live with that. They dropped three in the polls, and then the Marshall thing happened. And then Marshall goes and loses to Bowling Green the next week. And, uh, um, you know, then the Cal game was kind of a heart stopper. And so I think people are kind of grasping as how optimistic can they be now moving forward. And I think for me, I need to see a couple more games, but that's why we have somebody smart like you on uh, <laughs> to, to make us look good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, bad starts. Everyone's looking for heads to roll. And I think some some of that uh, gets pointed at us too. They're like, why did you guys lie to us? Why did you tell us this team was going to be good? It's like, well, if we thought they would be bad, we would have told you. We're not, we're not trying to mislead you. Right. We, right. we don't, it doesn't help us to look, to look wrong. So. <laughs> um, exactly. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll say this and I'll remind everyone kind of where I was on Marcus Freeman, uh, you know, a year ago. And, and I remember saying to you guys and a lot of folks, I, I love Marcus Freeman. I, I know him. Um, I, I think he's fantastic, but it's going to be tough. And I remember saying this because I came from a position of I was there at Notre Dame when they hired a former defensive coordinator who everyone loved, uh, who had no head coaching experience. Right. And that, of course, was Bob Davey. And I, so I knew just how much of a challenge it was it was going to be. And, you know, I, I wasn't like I wasn't excited about it. I just knew it'd be maybe tougher. And I, I kind of maybe saw that aspect a little bit more. And 
I think that's certainly what is what is played out here. Um, it's just a lot to 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 manage, you know, and, and to go from not being a head coach to being a head coach and all the things you got to do, especially at Notre Dame. I think it will work. It's just, you know, in the day and age, I guess what worries me in the day and age of the transfer portal and you know finicky recruits and social media and all this, to, do people you know, make hasty decisions and, and recruits and things like that. So I hope that doesn't happen. I don't think it will. I think this guy's going to get it figured out because I, I think he's, you know, first and foremost, a great person. Um, I just, hopefully it can happen soon. So Rocky, I guess let's, let's talk a little bit about the defense. What, what have been your thoughts on how the defense has played? I think for the most part, they've played pretty well, but there've also been some instances where they haven't held up their end of the deal. What, what have been your takeaways from what Notre Dame's defense has done? And again, this is coming from me. I've not watched every, every play. I try to catch what I can in between, you know, games I'm doing and stuff. But, but yeah, I think the, the defense has played pretty well. I, I think um, I, I think I'd still would like to see a little bit more out of Foskey. Uh, I think the penalties in the last uh, was at the end of the game last week. Mm-hmm. I think were an issue. Um, but you know, I, I think like defense in today's world is about. You know, it's about star players, you know, I mean, coming up and making big time plays. And I still think some more of those uh, on this Irish defense, you know, certainly need to emerge. Well, speaking of star players, um, I guess that we thought and and I still think eventually he will be Maris Leofau will be a difference maker at linebacker. Now, he missed all of last year with an injury, uh, pretty gruesome ankle injury and so forth. But mm-hmm. When you look at their linebackers, they're not performing even up to what their standard was last year. When you look at their pro football focus grades, they're not mm-hmm. as high. That um, seems like they have trouble in coverage. I'm wondering if there's anything when you're watching them that encourages you to think this is going to get better. The, these guys are going to get it together and and be more impactful in the games. Um, I just think, look, it, I mean, I, I play the position. So I think linebackers, the, the toughest position on defense, because you got to do a little bit of everything, right? You're asked to do yeah. everything. And, you know, D-line, at the end of the day, a lot of it is, hey, here's my gap, <laughs> go forward, right? You know, it's a lot of, it's more, you know, physical traits. Can you get off of blocks? Can you, you know, can you, you know, hold your gap? That sort of thing. Linebackers got to, you know, they got to be the, the leader out there. They got to call the defense. They got to reposition things when the formation changes. They got to be in the right gaps because if they're not, that's when the big runs happen. You got to be able, nowadays, especially, you got to be able to play in space. So I, I think it's it, it's hard. It's just, it's a hard thing to do and hopefully can get it better. The other thing I wanted to ask you, I don't, I don't think you guys changed schemes when you were um under Bob Davey maybe you did and I wasn't paying attention but uh, or I can't remember since it's so long ago but they've had three defensive coordinators three different linebackers coaches and three different schemes in three years do you think that might be some of what's swimming around in their heads oh 100 percent I mean all the way down to you know things that were called this one year and all of a sudden they're yeah. called differently and in linebacking I mean football is is instincts it's instincts you know it's not you can't be thinking out there you got to just be able to react and you know I, I just having you know done that a, a time or two myself where you're coming from one d coordinator to the next or one scheme to the next it, it can certainly be can be challenging um and and that's what I think it looks like it just looks like again the little I've watched it's 
there's hesitation and you got to just be able to go. You, you can't think. And, and that's what's, it's the hard part, you know, about experience cannot be, you can't really move up the clock on it. Yeah. You can study more, you can do that, but there, there's a, a, you know, a certain amount of actual time that has to be, you know, had in, in, to have an experience in to, to be able to understand what's going on, you know, and I just think it's one of those things that's going to be tough and we have some growing pains with it. Rocky, this team has some young, talented linebackers who haven't been able to sort of crack the rotation yet. What what are the nuances of linebacker play that are the most difficult to sort of pick up on that, in that transition from high school to college? I think the first thing, and I see it in college linebackers a lot, is I think kids, especially young and inexperienced linebackers, they, they see the ball. But you got to be able to see the linemen. You got to see people pulling. You got to see zone blocking. You got to be able to have your your eyes on on the ball and the quarterback and the exchange. But also seeing where the linemen are, and you see a puller, and you know you got to come to that gap. It, it's hard because you know if you do just follow the ball. I mean, these schemes these days are so crazy. My God, especially with the RPO stuff, I mean, it, it's tough, man. It's it's really really tough. So, um, it, again, it just is something that takes experience. I'd say between that and uh, young linebackers, I see a lot, uh, even in college, uh, don't use your hands well. You know, they get swallowed up by blocks because they're in high school and they're kind of used to being the fastest, best athlete, and they just they can run around a block and they're fast enough to do it. You run around a block in major college football, you're not going to have the speed and the time to get there. That thing's going to be out. you got to be able to hit guys with your hands, grab them, throw them off and, and be able to make a play. So it, it's not just linebacking is so much more than, than running around on the, in the backyard or on the playground. It, it's a, it's a, there's so much mental that goes to it. So many things you've got to be disciplined with your eyes. And again, all those things come back to what we've been talking about, which is getting experience. So Rocky, if I remember right, your kind of breakthrough year was your sophomore year. So when you were a freshman, did you think I'm better than these guys or, or were you, <laughs> were you humble and saying, okay, I'm wait my turn. And, you know, I mean, how, how did that process go for you as a freshman linebacker who was pretty highly recruited? Yeah, it was, I mean, for me, I was, uh, I had switched to linebacker when I got there. I was a safety in high school. If you remember, right. I, I played yep. three safety. So there was a major adjustment for me. I was playing, I went from playing, you know, eight yards off the ball, nine yards off the ball to playing this close to the tight end. I mean, I went from that to, hey, you're yeah. head up a, a nine technique over a tight end. And that's, and you want to talk about a major change, things happen like that, right? So yeah. I, I don't think as a freshman, you know, being a competitor, yeah, I want to be out there. But, you know, I, I was also, I'm always honest with myself. And I didn't think like, oh my God, I should be playing as a freshman. No, I felt like, hey, I need to learn. And, and I took the time to do that because it, it is a different position um, you know, being at, at safety in high school. And I remember it was, I don't even know if it was a week, maybe a week into camp, uh, Bob Davey brought me in the office and said, Hey, look, he says, you, you know, you're a, you're a fast safety, but you can be an extremely fast linebacker and talk through all the things. And Hey, you're, you know, you're 215 pounds. Now one season with Mickey Marotti, you're going to be 235 and, you know, and, and everything he said made sense. And it actually, it was, it was the right thing to do, but uh, it was certainly, what was challenging going from doing that to now playing linebacker. Rocky, I think one of the troubling things about the defense, which I think overall has played fairly well, 
is that it seems to have not been able to get some stops when it really needed them, um, whether it was the second half against Ohio State um, or, or we're talking about the ends of a first half or, or late in games. And certainly they got the stop they needed at the end of the Cal game, but they made it pretty hard on themselves to get that get that stop. When a defense is playing well and isn't able to get those kinds of stops, is there anything that can be done? How do you sort of figure out what the issue is in those instances? I think it's a combination of things, but I think a lot of it comes down to some of your better players making those plays in those big moments when a drive's getting ready to break. And, you know, that, that's where those guys need to take it upon themselves to step up and, and, and get it done. It's usually the, the, the better players that are ones making those big time stops. So, you know, hopefully that can evolve a little bit, but uh, you know, you know, I, I can say things like it's a mindset and stuff, which it is, but I, I think it's, you know, defense has got to grow. It's got to be confident. I, I, I think it defense above anything. I think you've got to play with confidence and it can't be like a, a fake confidence where, yeah, we, we think we're the best. No, you got to go through it and experience that. And when you have the experience of making big time plays and, and making plays in the critical parts of the game, you can now fall back on that. It's not something you're trying to talk yourself into or fake through. You've actually, you know, done it. Rocky, I'm not saying that Marcus is over his head. So when I ask you this question about Bob Davey, I'm not trying to relate it to Marcus, but with Bob Davey, you didn't have anything to compare it to as a college coach, but did you, when he managed the game and so forth, not just, you know, being a good defensive guy, but just his overall handling of the team, did you ever get the sense that he was not up to the task of being the head coach? while you were playing for him? I, I guess, I mean, one of my, you know, critiques about Bob and, and, and I, and I love Bob, um, but, but I think sometimes he was, he was too emotional, especially in, in big moments, you know, and I'll contrast that with, you know, I also played with, you know, Tony Dungy, who was like this every single day, right. Just constantly, if we won a big game, he'd come in, he'd show us five plays of, Hey, you guys keep doing this. You're going to lose. And if we lost <laughs> a big game, Hey, come in and look at this. I mean, look, look, we're this close. You know, we hit these these three plays. We're going to win this game, kind of thing. And just it wasn't like a a roller coaster, emotional, you know, kind of thing. Um, so I, I think that's, and again, that's something you you kind of gotta, you know, you gotta feel through. It. And I don't think Marcus is a, is an emotional guy. So maybe that's not the, the the same thing that's going on. I'm just saying that that's something that you you got to be able to have. Um, and Bob, I, I think, you know. I guess the one the one thing that sticks out is in the Nebraska game, my junior year, you know, end of the game, you know, we had time to go. In my opinion, I thought we had time to go down and get a score. Instead, he says, now we're going to go into overtime. I'm like, going to overtime against a team that's better than us? I don't think that's a good idea, <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of thing. So, again, it, it's a learning thing, but uh, something that, unfortunately, no one gives you the, uh, the, the, the time to just ease into. Rocky, certainly this was a tough start to the season, and I think, everyone starts to question what's going on and that can seek uh, can sort of seep into the locker room too. When you start owing two with a loss to, to Marshall as the second loss, what can captains do in a situation like that to make sure that things don't veer even maybe further off, off track and keep, keep things, get things back on track in the season. I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, this is something again, coach Dungy, uh, taught me and, and taught us and was a major staple of our team. And, and I just use it in, in all of my life. And that is, you know, focus on, on the small things in life. You know, it's focus on those details. You know, you can't, you know, if you're on Monday, 
I, I just feel like if it's, you know, say it's Sunday, right? You just played a game of Sunday. We've got a game next Sunday to try to like think about, you know, winning that game. I, I think that's kind of foolish. Think about what do I got to do on Monday morning? Like what, what's the, what's the things I got to know? I got to make sure I know, you know, all of their first and second down runs. I got to know, you know, who their key players are. What's the, what, what can I do to make sure I have the best Monday I can? Okay. And then Tuesday happens and, and you just kind of put those, there's little things together. Don't look too far out, you know, because if you start thinking about, oh my God, you know, we got this, such and such game coming down the road here in three weeks and we got this and this has happened and people out here are talking. I just think you kind of got to internalize things, focus on, on, on the, the more immediate of, of life. Like what, what can I do today? Well, what's the things I can do in this practice to get better? What are the things that maybe I'm not doing my best instead of like, oh my God, we got to win this game and it's away and it's on the road. I, I just don't think that's the right way to go about it. I, I'm curious, you two, your best two, the two good teams that you did play on at Notre Dame, they had quarterback injury issues. Uh, in '98, yeah. I think it was Jarius late in the season, and then somehow Eric Chappelle ended up playing uh, in the uh, USC game, and that was a disaster. And then in 2000. You had our, I think, started out with our Nez. Gary Gotze got a start and beat Drew yeah. Brees. And then you end up with a true freshman leading you. So what was the experience <laughs> like? What were the emotions like in each of those years having to go through those quarterback changes? Well, I, I got to tell you, Eric, when I showed up uh, the day I was drafted to the Tennessee Titans and we had this guy named Steve McNair, a quarterback, and I got to watch him for a few days. I was like, wow, this is what it's like to have <laughs> one quarterback who's really, really good. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, man, because we've had about seven in uh, in like three years at Notre Dame. So, no, I, I yeah, that's that was a tough stretch for us. And, you know, I mean, go, go back to my junior year, which is 2000. You know, Arnez is our starting quarterback, and I think he was – I mean, look, obviously he's a phenomenal player. He played, he played about 10, 12 years in the league as a receiver. Uh, you know, he goes down in that Nebraska game with the, the you know, the, uh, the wrist injury. And then you know, Matt Lavecchio comes on, and there's a few other guys in between there. But, I mean, look, there, there's not a coach alive that will tell you, you know what, you know, cycling through quarterbacks is, is a really good thing for your offense. No, <laughs> that, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, but the, the reality is sometimes you're not going to be lucky to get um, – you know, whatever, a, a top guy every year, you know what I mean? It's, you got to kind of work through some things. I know they're working through things with Drew and that's just kind of got the way it's got to be. Rocky, Notre Dame has played against North Carolina each of the past two seasons. And I know Notre Dame's coaching staff has gone through some changes, but are there advantages to, to, to going up against a team for that many seasons in a row? Can you take things away from previous seasons, even if there might yeah, be I some inconsistencies in the staff changes? I think so. They, they, you know, a lot of these coaches, what they do, yes, yeah, so they, they look at, okay, the coordinator, what, what's some things that what's, you know, where have they been? Where some other stops? Look at their kind of MO of how they do things. But I think, I mean, especially when you're talking Mac Brown, you, you kind of know what you're getting there. You're going to get a team that's, you know, is going to play hard. You're going to get a team that's, you know, fairly buttoned up, um, you know, that, that sort of deal. So I, I think mostly they're going to look at, you know, the, the coordinators, where have they been in years past and kind of go back and go through the film and see all that sort of scheme. But I mean, just familiarity, I think, with a team is is good. I always thought it was, you know, weird, uh, whether it was college or the NFL, you, you play kind of a random team that you've never, you know, you've never played. And you're like, I remember in college, we played Arizona State out in Tempe and you're like, 
this is this feels kind of weird. I don't know. We have no familiarity with these guys. Yeah, Rocky. Speaking of familiarity, you talk to offensive coordinators all the time in your prep work. I'm sure. So, so when you do, what impresses you when you speak to them? What gives you the sense of this guy knows what he's doing? And then let's um, plug Tommy Reese into that equation and and give us your impressions of him as a offensive coordinator so far. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I'm always impressed with the coordinators that first of all, I mean, really, really believe in what they're doing. You know, what I mean, really believe in in the system that they and, and but then can explain why because it, it's usually when I talk to offensive coordinators, that's one of my first questions. Like, okay, you run. Uh, RPO game. Why? Why in the, of all the billion things you could do as a coordinator, why to you is this the thing? You know, I like to see kind of what they say. And if they say, well, you know, because, you know, it's kind of what people are doing these days. No, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear my experience shows this. And if we can isolate that one overhang guy and get him in conflict and the RPO game is the best or whatever it is. So, so that I think kind of confidence and, and really belief in, what your system is, I think is first and foremost. And then for Tommy Reese, I, I you know, I don't know. I, I, I know his history. I, I don't know if I have enough of a grasp on, on how he's done yet um, to, to really give you an answer on maybe what he needs to do. But I, I know he's got the pedigree. I know he's, he's got the smarts. He's got all that. I, I think, you know, I, one of my things for offensive coordinators is just offense in general is, you know, Get your, get your best player the ball, right? Find ways, scheme up ways to get your best player the ball. And, and I'm sure Michael Mayers is a big part of that. But, you know, sometimes coordinators get caught up in scheme and do all this sort of complicated stuff. It's like find an easy way to get your best playmaker the ball. I always feel if you're a coach and you're at their post-game press conference and, and they beat you, you'd rather say, you know what, we took away their best option and they beat us with their second, third, and fourth option. So, you know, Tip of the tip of the cap to him, rather than hey, we 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 didn't really have a good grasp on their best player and he went off on us, you know, or we didn't we didn't do a good enough job of making sure our best player was put in positions to make plays. I, I think that's something that probably needs to happen more. You said you weren't sure what you would tell Tommy Reese. There's a whole line of people that are willing to do that, so <laughs> well, yeah. you won't miss your commentary. Good, good, yeah. There, there's enough to fill the void. All right, good, good, good. I, I guess that would be it. I just, you know, let's, let's yeah. you know, let, you know, identify the playmakers and find easy ways to get them the ball in space. Let's go. Rocky, last thing I have for you, uh, the college football conference landscape changed quite a bit since the last time we talked to you with, with USC and UCLA uh, fixing to join the Big Ten. And obviously you're in Cincinnati where Cincinnati is joining the Big 12. Um, so lo- lots of conference realignment going on. What are your thoughts on what Notre Dame should do moving forward? I, I again, I, I think I still just think the ACC or another conference needs Notre Dame more than Notre Dame needs another conference. I, and, and until and I know money drives everything, but if if the new NBC contract is anywhere in that you know incredible range of numbers that you see thrown out there in the tunes of 60, 70, 75 million dollars, that kind of thing, then I, I don't know why you, you rush to join a conference. Now, Notre Dame is going to be in the equation every single time they build up enough of a, of a, you know, of a resume. I still, even though I know people are upset about maybe recent success or lack thereof, um, 
I, I, I think um, I, I just don't think that you should be in any rush to judge or, or to, to go to a conference unless it benefits Notre Dame. If it benefits Notre Dame and it benefits the athletic department and all that sort of thing, maybe. But I just still think that there's something to be said about a, a team that's in a position and people can say it's fair or unfair, but they're in a position where they can play any team in the country and that team will fill up their stadium like that, right? You can go do it. Nothing against, um, you know, Wake Forest, right? But Wake Forest hasn't been full in a long time, I don't think. But Notre Dame comes there, boom, that thing's full right there. And there's going to be probably, I don't know, 4 million people going to watch it on TV. So unless, um, I just don't think Notre Dame should have to feel badly about that. I, I never do. All right, Rocky, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. And uh, where, are you, where are you heading this week? Uh, I got a good one, man. I got uh, Baylor at Iowa State, noon, uh, Big 12 uh, game. Baylor's number 17 in the country. Uh, and um, Iowa State's 3-0, and kind of out of nowhere. They beat Iowa in an ugly game a couple <laughs> weeks ago. But, uh, but that's all right. As long as you win them, right? Irish fans would, would agree. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks a lot, Rocky. Have a good one. Guys, you're the best. Thanks so much. As a reminder, the Inside ND Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxie, maker of the best dress socks you'll ever wear. How do I know this? I make Dead Soxie part of my Saturday routine with their no-show socks. And I'll tell you what, it was another hot one at Notre Dame Stadium, highs in the upper 80s, and it felt every degree of that as I was walking to the stadium <laughs> and uh, making my way to the press box. And I'll tell you what, the, the socks are made from bamboo and, and they talk about the luxury feel. It also is a cool feel. You're not sweating and people wondering what's going on with you and your feet. So uh, for me, what's going on with my feet is that I'm cool and comfortable. I, I'd also like to point out, if you go to the Dead Soxy website, which is deadsoxy.com, that's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. They have custom socks for your organizations or for corporations or just for your favorite team where they can customize those for you. And if you're thinking about doing that, you, you want to start um, putting those ideas together because I think the deadline to order those for Christmas is October 11th. And, and the Dead Soxy socks make a great gift. In fact, both my adult sons have commandeered some of mine as a gift uh, that I never gave them. They just loved them so much and thought they were so cool looking and they have not given them back. So go to deadsoxy.com, uh, get your 25% off with the code LUCKY, that's L-U-C-K-Y, and experience the patent technology with a no-slip guarantee. That's deadsoxy.com, promo code LUCKY. All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765 587 3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at T James ND and Eric's at the Hansen ND. First question I have for us, Eric, is from 
at irishfan7611. I noticed that Marcus Freeman doesn't carry a call sheet. How heavily is he relying on Tommy Reese to run the offense? Should Marcus Freeman carry carry one for the sake of knowing what plays are being called? Um, yes, he relies heavily on Tommy Reese. It's not that he's completely out of conversations, both on game day and during the week about offense and offensive philosophy and so forth. He got asked a couple questions at the end of Monday's press conference about his role, his overall role and his communication with the other coaches. And, and it's evolving. And I think he's pretty comfortable with it. Um, as far as should he, I, you know, I think it's good that he's not meddling to the point where he's um, trying to get into the nuancing of play calling. I think he's making the kind of decisions like let's not throw a Hail Mary just before halftime. Let's go for two. Let's, you know, some of those kind of let's go for it on fourth down, but he's not. So I, I don't think it would be um, beneficial for him to have that. You know, I I haven't studied a lot of guys that are in Marcus's shoes that came from the defensive side of the ball. But when I look at pictures of Dave Aranda and video of him on the sideline, I don't see a call sheet there either. I think Dave Aranda is probably the best comp to Marcus, or at least what you hope Marcus turns into mm-hmm. right now. So that would be my my thoughts there yeah I, I mean you don't he he's not selecting the play so to me i mean think of a play sheet as like a menu like he he's not the one ordering dinner so he doesn't need to he doesn't need to have a menu he like if if uh if he hears tommy saying things he doesn't want he'll chime in and say hey let's let's establish the run on this drive or hey let's take a shot this drive he has the uh, the power to to do those kinds of things but he's not i don't know that he's gonna rattle off the name of a play hey let's run this play I don't think that's the the level of detail that Marcus Freeman is getting into he wants Tommy Reese to have control of that um and that's how I mean Tommy Reese is the offensive expert where Marcus Freeman is is learning learning the offense um as 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 the season continues I think there's still plenty for Marcus Freeman to learn I imagine um as it comes to Notre Dame's offense so I he can he can hear what's being called in the headset so he doesn't so it's not like he needs to also read it. Um, so I think he has a sense of what's going on. Um, but like I said, like he's not the one calling it. But yeah, I mean, he, in terms of like how heavily is, is he relying on it? I mean, as heavily as possible. I don't know that he could he could rely on uh, Tommy Reese to to call the offense any more than he is. Like it is it is Tommy Reese's offense. He is he's making the decisions, and and Marcus Freeman is is um, offering guidance in terms of what he wants to be um established uh in terms of like offensive identity and and like you mentioned the the scenarios where a head coach needs to make should we go for it on fourth down and those kinds of things next question is from chris scheiber at scheib 43 where do you start to draw the line between execution and coaching much has been made of reese's play calling but he's not dropping a pass like styles throwing a swing pass into the ground missing mayor open false starting missing blocks on the edge and not getting off press well, I think um, there is no line. I, I think, and that's Marcus Freeman's philosophy, is that execution and coaching, if it's not part of the problem, it needs to be part of the solution. And one thing I think that's kind of interesting with Marcus, and he reiterated it even after a win, is that they'll do a deep dive into how they can get better. 
Uh, they do a lot of self-scouting. I think with Brian Kelly and some of the other coaches I've been around, um, they've maybe tweaked and fixed things from week to week, but they didn't do the big self-scouting dive every week. They kind of save that for the bye weeks. And so I think Marcus is taking accountability for the execution. I think he's also counting on his player leadership, his captains, to set that example and hold everybody accountable as well. So, yeah, I think coaching and execution go hand in hand. I, I do think there is a line there. The basic fundamental errors, those those fall on their on on players like Chancey Stuckey can pour his heart and, and soul into coaching these receivers. But if someone drops a pass, that doesn't mean that he didn't teach the guy how to catch. Um, sometimes errors happen. That's that's a part of being a human, part of being an athlete. Um, I don't think it's always a reflection of, of whether or not they're being taught to do something or not. Now, if there's a pattern, then that, in my opinion, starts to reflect on the coaching. There are certain aspects of the game that I think lean more towards coaching versus execution. Um, but it's not like Harry, he's saying, isn't teaching guys to not jump off sides. Like <laughs> they're being taught that they're just failing to execute that. That isn't necessarily something there, there can be instances like, okay, what, what are we doing like from the coaching side? What are we doing with the cadence? What are we putting these guys in a bad position? There are, there are things that coaches can do to fix those errors and to try to prevent them. But at the end of the day, sometimes it just comes down to the player doing what he's being asked to do. And sometimes that doesn't always happen. And so there, there is a line there between what, what is being asked to do and what's being coached to be done and what is actually being done on the field. Next question is from Benny 71 on the insider lounge. Are coach Freeman and coach Reese on the same page as far as offensive game plans? Did a rift in the relationship occur during spring practice? Um, I'm always curious of these kind of questions because that didn't come out of thin air that came out of reading that somewhere or hearing that somewhere, but, um, and then we're being tested as to the, you know, veracity of the reporting of somebody else's reporting, but, um, well, reporting might be a strong word for that too. We don't, yeah, we yeah, don't even know yeah, if it's or fabricating or, or yeah, embellishing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'll say this in, in, in the um, flow of the game, there's going to be some disagreements. In the meeting room, there's going to be disagreements. And I don't know that you necessarily get better if you always see right. see things the same way. I had a sports editor for three decades who made me so much better of a reporter than I ever would have been without him. And we didn't always agree on everything. And we would kind of talk through and sometimes came up with a the compromise was better than either idea either one of us had. And so I think there's some healthy parts to that. To call that a rift, uh, I think is mislabeling things and and butchering the English language. Yeah, I, I don't sort of like how you started your answer. I, I'm not sure what's behind this question what what is being referenced here if we're if we're being tested if we're in the loop or not I, I don't really know I mean the one thing that I think we do know that was a bit strange was Tommy Reese interviewing at Miami that was before spring practice happened I believe that was either late January or February early February um so I, I think that may have been a, a situation that 
was a, a bit uncomfortable, but I, I, I don't know that there's been any, at least from my perspective, there's no reason to believe that they're not on the same page in terms of offensive game plans. I, I mean, I think the Marcus Freeman went out of his way to say, Hey, this is what we're, we're, we wanted to do against Ohio state. This isn't, I asked Tommy Reese to control the ball and do these things and not be aggressive. And so that's why we, we went with that game plan. So I, I don't know that Marcus Freeman would, would do something like that if they, if they had some sort of rift or um, I, I don't know why he would, he would cover that up in that way. Like what would be the benefit of that? Um, so, I mean, I don't, I, I wouldn't expect him to throw Tommy Reese under the bus, but um, and if they were, I, I guess you can look at it two ways that our, our new access to the coordinators on a weekly basis, it's be, it could be one, you could say, well, maybe Marcus Freeman's trying to pass the buck and he wants those guys to have to answer for their mistakes rather than him have to doing all the answers. Or it could be, Hey, I trust these guys. They can talk about what we're doing. We, we don't have like whatever I say or whatever they say speaks for all of us. We, we, we're, we're a cohesive unit and I'm, I don't have a problem with those guys talking to you and telling you, telling you their perspective of what we're doing. So um I, I'm appreciative of it. I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes as the season goes on, because this is something I haven't experienced as a college football reporter. I haven't had access to um, coordinators on a weekly basis throughout a season um, in my 10 year career. So I'm, I'm curious to see what that is like and try to figure out what, what sort of questions we can ask um, Tommy Reese and Al Golden on a weekly basis. All right. Uh, the next question I, I'm going to sort of combine two that we had here that were both about the linebackers from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. The linebacker play has not been good. What do you think the issues are? Is the scheme too complicated, causing confusion? Do you think each player is in the position that best maximizes their athletic potential? If you were doing some position switching, who would you switch? So lots of questions from Marie there. And then at Irish Disney 33 uh, asked, I feel like the linebackers are doing just okay. There's nothing that's making me say that they're hurting the team drastically, but I also believe there's a lot of room for improvement. They also seem slow out here. What are your thoughts on their play so far? So I guess let's, let's start broadly, Eric, in, in what, what are your thoughts on the linebacker play in general? And then we can sort of get into some of the more specific questions that Marie asked. Right. I, I called the questions up so I could keep track of all of them. Um, (laughs) I would agree with Marie's assessment that it's been less than stellar. Um, And I wrote about that today. I wrote about what, how it's been actually how it's been graded. And even somebody like Jack Kaiser, who had a a stellar grade last year at 79.2, which is the second highest on the defense in 2021. He's kind of stuck in the mid sixties with, with the rest of them, Bo Bowers, the only one below 60, the, those aren't good grades at all. They're very average to below average, just below average grades. So the linebacker play hasn't been good. Now, do you want me to get into why, or or do you want to talk first there? Uh, yeah, I, I could, I'll chime in quickly. I, I haven't spent as much time watching the linebackers, to be honest. I, I want to do more of that. I don't want to just simply rely on the PFF grades and, 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 and lean on that for my opinion. Um, that's something I'd actually, I plan to spend some time doing that today um, to try and get some more information heading into our interview access to Al Golden um, this evening on Tuesday. 
Um, so I know there have been plays where linebackers seem to be out of position and not reading the offense very well. Um, and Notre Dame doesn't have freak athletes who are playing linebackers, so you can't – it's harder to make up for the mistakes that you make in, in those moments if you're a step, step in the wrong position or a step slow. So um, I, I, I understand that the linebackers – or I would agree that the linebackers aren't playing to their potential – um, but I, it is. it has been a little bit interesting to me that they sort of have become the pinata all of a sudden where, okay, it's the linebackers' fault that the defense isn't perfect now, um, where it seems to maybe it, the first two weeks it was the defensive line's fault. So um, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure why the, the heat is being put on the linebackers as to the extent that, that, that it's been, um, especially in the last, I guess, couple of days since the Cal game. Well. I, I will say I did watch the linebackers a lot. Maybe it was because Manti Teo was at the game and I was not impressed I because I think the defensive line did improve. I, I think you could see that from um, week one and week two to week three. I thought um, they were a lot better. Um, and, you know, so, so let me go through why I don't think the linebackers have been playing as well I, I made kind of a list one I think is Maris Leofau that ankle injury he's been slower to come back from that than I think that maybe he expected um, they still kind of manage his reps in practice and were over a year from that injury that was an August 2021 injury so you know, I think there's hope that as Marist is able to kind of get back into his rhythm, that he's going to find his instincts, that he's going to find his speed, and he's going to be able to kind of move ahead with that. I think uh, one is, I, I don't think most of the linebackers that are playing right now are inherently great cover guys. I think Jack Kaiser has good fundamentals with coverage but you have to watch who he gets paired up with. Um, J.D. Bertrand didn't have very good coverage grades last year. He doesn't have very good coverage grades this year. They were able to manipulate him a little bit early in the game, manipulate the scheme to where they walked a wide receiver out that was inside. They walked him out to the perimeter, and J.D. Bertrand went with him. And there was a pass that Jack Plummer missed very early in the game that he overthrew where the receiver had four or five steps on, on JD Bertrand. Yeah. Uh, think, let me, let me chime in on that. Like to me, that's, that's a defensive scheme issue. Like JD, Ber, JD Bertrand shouldn't be in that position. That's not a right. winning proposition for him. Um, so right. to me, I don't, I mean, you'd like to see JD do a better job there, but I don't really hold that against him. Cause I don't think that that was a, that was, that was a good job by Cal to get JD in that position. It was a bad job for, by Notre Dame to prevent him from being in that position. But it's also Cal recognizing that that's not a good matchup for Notre Dame. Right. Um, so, I mean, you don't have Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa out there who would have been able to handle something like that. You're also playing and Notre Dame's playing a lot of nickel. So Kaiser would naturally be in that Rover kind of position and he's playing inside a lot. So he's not playing his natural position. Not that he can't handle being inside, but it's not where he's best. Um, and, and maybe we're not seeing the best of what the linebackers can do with only two of them on the field most of the time. So, so those would be – and the other thing we talked about with Rocky, 
three schemes in three years, three linebackers coach in three years, um, three defensive coordinators. And I think, you know, maybe all that kind of piles up on them a little bit in terms of being able to work their way through it and, uh, and express the defense. And, and again, maybe there's hope then that as the, as the cobwebs clear or whatever, the, the overload clears that, uh, that they'll be able to express the defense better. Um, and then you have that, you know, you have all those young athletic linebackers and they're not necessarily any closer to playing either. Yeah. I, I guess I, I'm sort of pushing back out of ignorance and a little bit out of devil's advocate. I, I mean, one, I think to me, like Marcus Freeman didn't sound concerned when you asked him about the linebackers yesterday. Now that could be coach speak, but I, I would think. I, I thought he was, I thought he was trying to be fair, but he also said they had a lot to improve. You know, I mean, I, I'm not sure he would have said, yeah, that's concerning to me too. I hope North Carolina doesn't pick See, on that, but go well, ahead. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know that he would say like, I hope North Carolina wouldn't pick on that, but I think if anyone's going to hold the linebackers to a high standard, it would be the guy who coached them last season. So I, to me, I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe people think that he's going to be nicer to them because he coached them previously, but I think that's not how I think of Marcus Freeman as a coach. I know there's this per perspective of, of him as a player's coach because guys like him, but I don't think he takes it, takes it easy on guys. That that's not, that's not his coaching style. Um, well, he may not want to step on toes either. I mean, you know, I, you know, when people ask me what I think of the Tribune um, coverage of Notre Dame football, I kind of keep my mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, but you're not asked to give press conferences about that on a weekly basis. No, but I do get asked about it. <laughs> sure. So I, I, so I mean, so yeah, so I would push back on that, and then, um, or I would present that. I guess is the the way to to say that. And then the coverage grades, like I mean, I don't know, like when I think of linebacker coverage I think of running backs and obviously we've pointed to the one against Coward that probably could have been and should have been a touchdown running backs and tight ends but, but but which running back or tight end has killed Notre Dame so far this year I don't know that that's been an issue I, at least I mean like I, I've been saying this like I have not spent a lot of time watching the linebacker so I don't want to pretend that I'm a professional on this but looking at this at the box scores it's not like well these guys are really killing Notre Dame's linebackers and coverage and obviously the PFF grades are supposed to be go beyond the box scores but I don't I, I I don't want to just trust those by, bl blindly either. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I I would have to go back and look through the box scores, but it seemed like Marshall was getting a lot of kind of middle range passes, and and some of that is in zone coverage. It's not necessarily a receivers, you know, underneath routes that are that are in zone coverage and so forth. I think that's where some of those grades are being concocted. And again, pro football focus isn't the end all be all. It's a useful tool. Right. That that I'm but, but yeah, I mean Marshall had a, Marshall had 145 yards receiving. Its leading receiver had 38 receiving yards. So it's not like they were getting gashed in the passing game. So I, I guess uh but but they were remember if you remember right, I mean they were getting when they were throwing the ball, they were getting, you know, six yards a pop here on on very small little swing passes that were into the flat that I think, you know, at times were the linebackers were uh, should have been involved there yeah and I know the one critical third down they had sort of backed up on their own ends uh near their own ends on Marshall that is um I thought Maris Leofow messed up but Marcus Correct. said it was Ramon Henderson's fault so I think sometimes we don't necessarily know whose fault it is 
Um, and I, I, I mean, I think I even wrote in my post-game story that it looked like Maris Leofow lost the tight end, but, but then Marcus said that it was Ramon Henderson's fault. Now, is he covering for Maris in that situation? Maybe, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just think um, – I just wanted to – I think the linebackers are being treated like the offensive line, where I think the offensive line was genuinely playing terrible, and I don't think the linebackers are, be, are playing as bad as, as, it's, as it's at least – some of these louder voices that are being expressed to us, whether it's on our message board or on Twitter. Um, I think they're, I will disagree. I think they've been very average and I expected more. All right. Next question is from Charles W. Wolf. What on earth is up with all the false starts this season? I asked Marcus about that yesterday and, and four of them came in the first half and two of them came on consecutive plays. And Marcus, I don't want to say it wasn't a word salad. I mean, he tried to kind of go through the different scenarios and so forth. Um, you know, you would have thought that would have been a problem in Ohio State with all the noise and, the, you know, being the opener and being such a big game instead of a home game against California. Um, I, I wonder if just some of it's just getting used to Drew Pine, his cadence, how he does things. Um, and just being anxious, I think that, to me, that's what I would strike most of it up to. But it didn't happen in the second half, and I think that's a good sign. How about you, Tyler? I'll let you give your expertise on this one. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly concerning, but I, it seems that more of our mental errors, like I don't like I don't understand how Braden Lindsey fall started on a, on a quarterback sneak. I don't know what happened there. Um, I think it's fair to wonder if the new cadence is with, with Drew Pine it plays a role in some way. I mean, I can't speak to that for certain well um, there was a time remember with with ian book and um false starts do you remember that where his clap yeah the, the clap the clap was just <laughs> i i stand by that i think it's one of the, the it's it's a disadvantage to the offensive line um but I, I they're not doing that at least if they are i'm not paying close enough attention to it um the false start i mean i i i watched again the the false start on Blake Fisher um and that that looks more like what Marcus Freeman was talking about those guys being in two, a stance too long he he was more like leaning it wasn't that he flinched because you can tell i mean this is in the weeds with offensive line play but his first step was with his inside foot um and he was like he, he looked off balance Blake Fisher's never going to step backward with his left foot on a pass block on pass pro, which is what that looked like. So he he was just like, not, he was, there was something going on there where he was uncomfortable and that caused him to sort of fall, sort of lean back. It was more of a lean than a flinch. It wasn't like he was getting ready to start the play. So I'm not really sure what was going on there. He needs to be a little bit more focused on that and get settled in and put himself in a better position than he did on that play. So um, obviously every, every single one is, has its own issues and reasons that can go into it, but certainly that's something they have to fix because it, it has been a problem. And, and, it, and in key situations like third downs and stuff that has uh, ruined a drive, I think Jared Patterson, I, I think that was the Marshall game where he had one um, on a third down that put him back into like a third and eight and they were in Marshall territory. And then Notre Dame has to punt because they pushed him far enough back out of um, they didn't want to try to go for it on fourth and eight uh, from like the 45. I don't, I'm making these numbers up off the top of my head, but it was, a, it was a, uh, it was a bad situation based on that, that false start. Uh, next question is from Bert Leonard at Bert two, eight, three, four with the offensive line playing better as the Cal game went on and giving 
Drew Pine time to throw, do you think Notre Dame takes more shots downfield this week, or are they worried about Pine's arm strength? I think they need to because if they don't, defenses are going to cheat their safeties up, and it's going to really congest the things that they were able to accomplish against Cal. Whether he can throw deep and throw accurately, we're going to find out just like you guys are. We're going to find out about the same time because we've seen so little of it in practice. Uh, not, not that he didn't do it or couldn't do it. We just didn't see it. We didn't see proof one way or the other. So we're going to find out with everybody else on Saturday. And again, there needs to be some deep shots down the field to uh, keep the defense honest. Yeah, the congestion that will come is a concern because that makes it even harder, especially for Michael Mayer. I think that is the person that it probably hurts the most in terms of, okay, how do we get Michael Mayer open if the, if the safeties are playing so close to the line of scrimmage and um, they're going to not be afraid of us beating, not be afraid of Notre Dame beating them over the top. So I do think that Notre Dame needs to and will take more shots. I don't think it's going to be a lot, though. Um, I just don't think it's, it's Drew Pine's strength and we – Maybe uh, I think Lorenzo Styles is probably good at it, but who else is good at it? I know Notre Dame's wide receiver roster. I think Tobias Merriweather should be good at it and will be good at it. I don't know if they trust him to be good at it, um, but we will be talking about Tobias Merriweather in this next question. And that is from at Henry Bede, which of Notre Dame's wide receivers are keeping Tobias Merriweather off the field? The receiver keeping Tobias Merriweather off the field is Tobias Merriweather. According yep. to, um, Marcus Freeman, and since we're not watching practice, I trust trust that assessment because Marcus is very open to freshmen moving up and playing, and and uh, Tobias certainly had some moments in August training camp and as a guy that was devoted to learning the playbook and so forth. Uh, you know, Tyler can speak to a certain play that that pushed him off the field Saturday. We think. Um, because he didn't do the right things and and he's got to be able to to do the right things when he's in the game uh, not just be tall and jump over people uh, and that be the only asset he needs to run the routes correctly he needs to go in motion when he's supposed to go in motion and things like that and I I think that's coming he got his first five game reps of the season on Saturday I think there will be more ahead but again you know, Drew Pine and the coaching staff has got to be trust him that he's going to be where he's supposed to be when the ball's thrown his direction. Yeah, the play you're talking about, there was a play that Drew Pine signaled for him to go in motion, and he did not go in motion. And then when when that was going on, Zeke Carell snapped the ball. So I, I don't I don't know that Tobias that it's Tobias's fault for what happened with the snap, but there was confusion with the motion and non-motion, and then it put Notre Dame in a bad spot because then the snap comes to Drew. He doesn't seem to be ready for it. And then he just tries to make something out of it. And Drew Pine's not a good enough athlete to, to, to necessarily do that. So um, I, I agree. I, I had written the same answer down that, that the receiver holding him back is, is Tobias Merriweather. Um, I, I take the coaching staff's word for that because if, if, if they were certain that Tobias Merriweather would do the things that he needs to do to impact this offense, there would be no reason to keep him off the field because they need all the help they can get right now. Yeah. So I, I think that um, sometimes, not sometimes, most of the times, coaches are going to believe on it. They're going to do with 
do and work with what they trust the most. And, and so far that doesn't seem to be Tobias Merriweather. Now that can change and probably will change as the season progresses, but so far that hasn't been the case. Next question is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers2117. Will Notre Dame keep putting last names on the back of the jerseys, or was that just for the green jersey game? I think it would help with NIL and recruiting. Also, how many times did your heart stop because of the last three plays of the game? I think the green jersey thing is going to be it for the names on jerseys, save if they go to a bowl game. Um, I think they'll probably put them on the backs for the bowl game. And maybe 2023 is a year they look at maybe changing that tradition and putting the names on the backs of the jerseys every week. As far as how many times my heart stopped, um, I've seen this movie too many times. So <laughs> um, it I was just kind of interesting to me. So I, you know, I was, uh, I was watching closely, but, you know, I have to do this analysis is instant analysis at the end of the game and and <laughs> it is impossible when you don't know which team is going to win <laughs> to make much progress on that before the game actually ends yeah uh I, I was not having to do that i was actually down on the field uh at the end of the game um but but my my heart doesn't stop like like a fan's duh. i mean if i if i were watching the chicago bears it'd be a different story but uh like watching Notre Dame play like I have a job to do um so my, my heart doesn't stop unless like I see my recorder stop working during an interview <laughs> that, that, that that's something that is uh, heart stopping for me not necessarily the play on the field seeing walking tacos as the <laughs> food in the press box stops my heart <laughs> um yeah I honestly don't know about the, the back of the jerseys I mean maybe they put them on the blue ones I I don't know uh um, it's not something that is on the top of my list to ask about, but I, maybe we can ask around this week to see if that's going to happen. But um, I think uh, I, it seems like we get asked about this a lot as of late, and I don't know if it's Nathan Reynolds repeatedly doing it and he's just messing with us, but um, I, uh, um, I'm not sure that it makes a huge difference in NIL or recruiting um, because you, you still like how many times, I mean, the name on the back of a jersey, like you know, it's like okay, hey, turn around so I can figure out who you are. Like that, that's just not how like it works. Like there's recognition about a player beyond just the back of their names on the jersey. So I, I don't know. I just don't think that it that it makes that big of a difference. Next question, Baba Ganoush at plact underscore itfdb. Is there any doubt that Notre Dame needs to secure at least a quarterback and wide receiver in the transfer portal? I know fans can be hyperbolic but the quarterback and wide receiver looks as bad as I can remember. Well, I'll tell you what, Bob Ganoush, I love the fact that you used the word hyperbolic. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, you used it correctly, and I want to steal that. <laughs> and um, I pronounced it correctly. So That's you, right, which you, is you. really amazing. <laughs> that made my heart stop. Um, so let's take these separately because I think they really are separate. I think with the wide receivers, absolutely and you need probably two you know Chancey Stuckey was asked uh during training camp how many receivers does he feel like he needs scholarship receivers to feel comfortable and he said 10 and I do think 10 is a good number now there are kind of there's wiggle room for Wilkins and Lindsay and um and um, you're Matt. just asking for people to get mad at you <laughs> mentioning Brady Lindsay. <laughs> well, I, I'm just saying there's wiggle room for them to come back for a sixth year. 
I don't see any of that happening. I see them losing the four older receivers. I think those four will all move on. Um, so I'm not saying what I was trying to say is it's not definite, but I think the right. most likely scenario is that the four older receivers move on. So that leaves you with four receivers. Right now you have three recruits. You're trying to add uh, Tayshawn Lyons, Lyons to that um, group. So that would give you eight. So, and, and eight pretty young receivers too, four of whom would be freshmen. Right. And uh, a bunch more of them would be uh, redshirt sophomores. Um, so it would be a pretty young group. Tobias would be um, a soft, a true sophomore. So very, very young group. So I think from an experience standpoint and a quantity standpoint, two receivers out of the portal makes sense. As far as the quarterback, I think you need to be prepared to add one, but not committed to adding one. And this is why I say that. Let's say 2015 happened during the portal era. You have uh, Malik Zaire getting hurt uh, very early in that season. Um, Everett Golson had transferred after spring football was over. And, and and Deshaun, so so Golson and Zaire were getting all the reps in the spring. And Golson says, I'm leaving before they even name a number one quarterback. So you go into the, the season with Zaire as your number one. And Kaiser, who looked absolutely lost in the spring and who almost quit football in the summer, is your number two. But Kaiser turned into a quarterback that nobody had seen coming. And that would have changed the course of whether Brian Kelly wanted to go to the portal. Again, if that were the portal era and then Zaire coming back completely healthy from the bad, I think it was an ankle injury and a broken ankle or broken lower leg. Um, and so that wouldn't have made sense. So there's a lot of factors that you're going to look at. You're going to look at what does P Drew Pine turn into? Number two, how does Steve Angeli develop as a number two quarterback? Number three, you're going to look at whether Notre Dame is able to get a 2023 signee in this class and, and one that's a pretty good quarterback. At right now, they're not making a lot of progress in that. Number four, does C.J. Carr reclassify and come in as a 2023 quarterback? And the last thing is, how is... Um, Tyler Buckner healing. Does he have a setback? Does he heal faster than, than you thought? And do you still believe that he's a guy that could get you to a playoff game and maybe win a playoff game? In, in, in the meantime, you, you need to be monitoring the portal. You need to see who can pass through the admissions process and be ready to move on that in December if you have to, so you could have the person uh, in spring practice. But the time to commit is December. The time is not to commit right now, as far as I'm concerned, to the quarterback. Yeah, and we, and we talked about Cade McNamara. Someone asked about him in on our Monday Night Live YouTube show last night, and we talked about whether or not that made sense. And I think the quarterback situation is always going to be more complicated because you're you're dealing with only one starting position, and uh, you deal with uh, hurt feelings and. Um, guys deciding, well, if you're going to take a grad transfer quarterback, why should I stick around? So it's not easy. But, he's, yeah, if Notre Dame sees someone, they're like, hey, this guy makes our room better. 
And if he beats out Tyler Buckner, so be it. That's we need to we need to win games. We need to do what's best for the program. Then you pursue that. But I think some of the names that folks threw around during the offseason um, as guys that transferred somewhere else weren't realistic options for Notre Dame. Um, and those guys would want were want would have wanted to come in here and felt pretty confident that they would be the starter. And I don't know that there were going to be a lot of guys that Notre Dame felt that way about that they were like, yes, we want this guy to be our starter rather than Tyler Tyler Buckner. So now maybe the, that view changes, and I think you have to explore that and, and be prepared to to follow through on that as soon as you can because you don't want to get behind the ball because then all the quarterbacks you're interested in could be could find an, another home first. So, um, so I, I'm not exactly sure how that works out with the quarterbacks with the receivers. It's 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 unquestionable in my mind. You have to go after at least one, if not two, wide receivers and if they could have, if they were able to get someone this offseason, they would have, but it just did not work in terms of finding the match that they that they needed to make things work and, and finding a guy that was wanting to come to Notre Dame. Last question we have is from at Hartman Teets 6. Can Notre Dame flip any DBs after Peyton Bowen leaves? <laughs> well, that's assuming that he's going to leave, and that's been a big question for months and months and months. Um, I, I haven't followed this as closely as Tyler, but from the, from the soap opera that has been Peyton Bowen so far, um, I don't know that Notre Dame is really tracking anybody, uh, to try to flip them. My sense is at this point, this deep into it and the deeper that it goes in the cycle, I think maybe if you lose Peyton Bowen, you would, you would look at somebody from the portal to replace that spot in the class rather than trying to get a three-star high school kid or or flip somebody in another class uh that you think can be comparable to Peyton Bowen he's probably the most talented recruit in this class right now or certainly one of the most talented recruits for people that aren't following this as closely he's been flirting with Oklahoma and Texas A&M for months and taking visits there a lot of times under the under the premise that he wants to go on a visit with his younger brother who's also a pretty good prospect when you're younger um but he also you know wears Oklahoma gloves sometimes or you know he he's not he's not shy about his flirtations um but he still says the right things to the Notre Dame staff about wanting to end up at Notre Dame yeah, and his his high school teammate, high school quarterback, is committed to Oklahoma as well, Jackson Arnold. So that's a big concern there for for Notre Dame. And I think it is an assumption that he leaves, but I think it's a fair one at this point. Notre Dame, I think, has to still win this win his recruitment. I don't know that that's sort of how I would describe it currently. Um, as for other options, I don't I don't have any names for you right now. I I, I would. I think he said something like, I don't know if Notre Dame is tracking someone. I, I would I would imagine that they are tracking someone. I don't know that they're like broadcasting that they're going after anyone. That would that would be the way that I would sort of go uh describe that. They are they're certainly aware of it, the, the situation with Peyton Bowen, but there might not be someone that they feel comfortable like, hey, this is someone that we really want to get into Notre Dame. That uh, to me, this is a why 
Ben Minnick was so important. Now, obviously, I'm sure there are plenty of people that don't think Ben Minnick is as, a, is as talented as Peyton Bowen, and I would be in that camp. I don't think he's as talented as him either, but Notre Dame wanted to get three safeties in this class, um, and, it, and it helps to have three safeties in this class if, if you're potentially going to lose one. And so you still have two guys in Adon Schuler and Ben Minnick that you would potentially – um, be happy about if you lost Peyton Bowen, but it would be a, it would be a very significant loss to lose both Peyton Bowen and Keon Keeley in the same class would be um, really tough blows for Notre Dame. All right. That's it for today's episode of the inside Indy sports podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review and share our podcast feed with your long lost cousin. You can hear more from us on YouTube every Monday night following games. We're live for about an hour at 7 p.m. Eastern. And our, our previous podcast segment, Place Your Bets, is now running Fridays on YouTube before games. We will be back with our next podcast next week to review the North Carolina game and discuss maybe some bi-week improvements that Notre Dame can make. Until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs. Mm-hmm.